Welcome to From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. An audio celebration of the films based on Marvel Comics characters released before and during the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Enough said. Face front, true believers. This is George Soroy, and welcome to the latest episode of From Duck Till Dark Outside the Marvel Studios, a celebration of all of the Marvel movies that were released before and during the run of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I really hope you've been enjoying this new version of this show. Like I said before, I basically decided for the 2021 version of the National Podcast Post Month Challenge, which is very simple. You record, you edit, you post an episode of a podcast every day for 30 days. By the end of day 30, if you have all 30 done and out there, then you win. Simple as that. And it has been just an absolute blast doing this. This is my third time doing this. Actually, I should say my three and a half because last year in 2020, I started a different show and then eventually it just kind of lost steam and... Uh, Life kind of got in the way and nothing really came of it. But for this one, for 2021, I wanted to go back to my 2019 show, which is From Duck Till Dark Outside the Marvel Studios, and give it another shot and see what can be improved upon it. And one big thing was the quality of the audio. I needed to record this in my recording studio where I record Excelsior Journeys, where I do all of my audiobook narrating. And so I also went back and added an intro and an outro and did a little bit additional research for the different movies that I'm covering. And here we are on Dace, and I'm really thrilled about this one because this is one of those real pivotal movies over at 20th Century Fox where they are notorious for making release dates and not instead of movies. And this has happened more than once. One of the most notorious examples of this is Alien. Back when they were just going from one director to another, one concept to another, even during the time early on in development, they actually had a teaser trailer that said, on Earth, everyone can hear you scream. And that wound up not being the case. The movie didn't even take place on Earth. So it was, uh, it was a very interesting development with that one. But here we are at another part three. And with this case, it looked like everything was shaping up to be something really, really epic. Because when we last left the X-Men, they had left Alkali Lake. They were without Jean Grey. She had sacrificed herself. Star Trek II Wrath of Khan style. In fact, it was so Wrath of Khan that they even had Jean Grey narrating the mutants that is the key to our evolution at the very end, the same way that Spock narrated Space the Final Frontier right before the closing credits of Wrath of Khan. So they really made sure that you knew that she was going to be coming back. And then to see the outline of the phoenix right at the very end, you knew exactly what was going to happen. And it was going to be amazing. Until the very next year, when Brian Singer decided to leave the franchise and everyone was kind of wondering why, like what, what is going on here? What, why did he suddenly up and leave the franchise when he was getting ready to deliver the real exclamation point, the big blowout that we had been waiting for? What was going to happen here? And it turns out that 
Brian had, according to the research that I did, Brian had a decent amount of ideas. He had scratched out about a half of an outline for what would become the 2006 film X-Men The Last Stand. And what he had in mind was obviously he was going to bring in the Phoenix and he was also going to bring in Emma Frost. And the character that would be played by January Jones in 2011 with X-Men First Class. But this time around, the idea was that she was going to be played by Sigourney Weaver. And she was going to be someone who would seek to control Jean. While Magneto was searching, was seeking to control her over on his side. And creating that real kind of tug of war between the two of them with the X-Men really kind of caught in the middle. It was pretty interesting, but at the same time, Brian had some ideas for this, but he had a lot more ideas for Superman. And that is because since the 1990s, Warner Brothers have been trying to get Superman back off the ground. Not long after Christopher Reeve's tragic tragic accident when, when he was paralyzed, he the Warner Brothers had been trying to see what can be done to kind of resurrect this character. And ironically enough, they were looking to resurrect the character by doing the death and return of Superman storyline. And so they had, you know, various iterations of it. They had famously, they had Kevin Smith come in and do a draft. John Peters was kind of shepherding the project during this whole time. I don't want to get too far into that. I would say for that Definitely check out the documentary done by the late John Schnapp called The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? I'm not sure if it's available on Prime Video or if you can get it elsewhere, but it's definitely streaming out there. So give that a look. What Brian had in mind was to dovetail off of Superman 1 and 2 and create its own little trilogy from there. And very interesting take. And uh, there was a lot that I enjoyed about that one. But again, I'm not going to get into Superman. Maybe later down the road, maybe I'll... Take a look at the DC Extended Universe, but this is all about X-Men, and this is all about Brian Singer leaving 20th Century Fox and the X-Men franchise in a lurch. And so that kind of shook things up. And what did Fox do in order to kind of ease their stress while all this was happening? They announced a release date, and it was going to be in 2006. And it was going to come out then, and then it was just a matter of actually making the film to reach that release date. So there they go again. They had to go ahead and just announce that it was coming out and give themselves this deadline when movies should not be about making release dates. Obviously, you want to. You want to make that that happen. But at the same time, you don't want to sacrifice the quality of the movie because... If you're sacrificing, if you're going to basically just try to run, rush, 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 rush through everything to get as many people in at the, the specific time slot that you have in mind, that's, that's not going to work. So there were a lot of different directors that were coming and going. A lot of different ones had some ideas. One big one that was attached for a while was Matthew Vaughn. Matthew Vaughn really hit big with the movie that he did with Daniel Craig called Layer Cake. And if you haven't seen that, definitely see it. It is awesome. It is so much fun. And Daniel Craig is great in it. And it's got like this really cool vibe to it that is so Matthew Vaughn. Like you would see that later on in when he would do Kingsman and Kick-Ass as well. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Matthew Vaughn's work. I love what he does. 
and I love what he can bring to a film. So it was great to have him on board, but unfortunately, some family issues caused him to step back. But one thing that he suggested to Fox before he left was one bit of casting, which was absolutely inspired, and that was to bring in Kelsey Grammer to be Hank McCoy, a.k.a. The Beast. And it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect casting because Hank McCoy is such an intellectual. And here we are, Kelsey Grammer, playing the quintessential intellectual for so many years as Dr. Fraser Crane. And he can take that element of him and dial back on, on the comedic, but then give this wonderfully nuanced performance. And thankfully, that's what he did. Eventually, they wound up settling on Brett Ratner to direct it and for him to just keep everything moving and to also keep it faithful to what had come before. And here's the thing. In a way, he did succeed. He did. It does feel like it is a part of the same world that Brian Singer originally realized. But the main thing that this movie needed was at least another half hour because what wound up happening was they obviously wanted to continue on with developing the Phoenix storyline. But there was also an element that they brought in that uh, writer Simon Kinberg and Zach Penn worked on that was based on this other this other story in X-Men lore called Gifted that Joss Whedon wrote about someone who is the centerpiece of a potential cure for mutant kind. And that definitely creates a solid dichotomy between the two. Those are two interesting stories that really mesh well together. And, and there are elements in there that really did work. But like I said, because there was so much emphasis on get it done, get it done, get it done, there was little time to explore things. There were, they took some big risks right in, the, right in the halfway point when you have Gene and Professor Xavier going at it telepathically and telekinetically as well. That results in Charles Xavier being atomized, completely eliminated. And I thought that was very ballsy. But at the same time, they have been kind of you know pitching this as the end of a trilogy. So anything goes, right? That's what we have here. And we also have it with Scott Summers, Cyclops, because James Marston decided he wanted to go with Brian Singer and Michael Doherty and Dan Harris and go and be a part of Superman. And so because of that, he was able to film just a little bit of material as Cyclops. And we get to see little traces of what would eventually be Gene killing Scott. I get why they did it, obviously, because they wanted to add a little bit of extra dramatic tension. Scott wasn't going to be there throughout the rest of the film, so why not go ahead and, and kill him off? And I actually liked the way that it was just kind of teased uh, right before Xavier senses something. And it, it it's almost like the first kill in the first Friday the 13th and how it ramps up as it goes and it gets more and more and more you know extreme. So it had a nice steady build to it, which really worked. And overall, I think the acting was solid in this one. Everyone was there to really go for it, really do their part. But again, because of the time that they had, 
because they only had about an hour and 45 minutes to tell not just one, but two different stories, it squished everything so much that all of the wonderful nuance of the dialogue that that took place within X2 and a lot of it was sacrificed. So every bit of dialogue more or less was on the nose and it created very awkward moments. There's a really good scene not long after Gene is brought back to the mansion and Xavier talks a little bit about what the Phoenix is and how it's inside her and everything and how he's doing whatever he can to kind of close those barriers that he had built up all over these years. And Logan, Wolverine, the two of them have this really good back and forth about what he's doing. And sometimes when you cage a beast, the beast gets angry. And there's a moment right near the end where Charles says, I had a choice to make. And Wolverine responds, well, it looks like Gene didn't have any choice at all. To which Charles, after taking all this time to explain everything that he did and why he did everything he did, he says, I don't have to explain myself, least of all to you. After he just explained it. So I understand the need to want to put a button on that scene, but still come up with something else. If you're going to explain, 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 and then say, I don't have to explain myself. So that left for quite a bit of just really random, awkward moments that could have made the film a lot better if they had just been able to stretch out that running time, add an extra 30 minutes, add an extra, I don't know, 45 minutes. These are two big stories. You got to give it the running time so that way it can breathe. They didn't let this story breathe. There's a good amount of action. It looks really good, but overall it becomes a lesser movie than the first two because it's all about action, 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 action. And it's got some great set pieces. And I still consider it watchable. And I feel like this is a movie that had no right to be as good as it was. But there were a lot, there was a lot that went into it that I wound up enjoying at the, at the very end of it all. Not the least of all was John Powell's score. Now, John Ottman had also left. He went over with Brian Singer to Superman, and he did a fantastic job with that score. John Powell came in. John Powell, I, I remembered him very well for uh, Face Off, and that, that I loved that score. And so I was excited to see what he would bring. And I loved his theme, and I loved the music that he brought. The Phoenix theme that he, that he incorporated, I thought was magnificent and very, very, very spiritual. Has has this really good good edge to it, and a lot of choral for the for the very end, a lot of good stuff. Um, but then there's quite a bit that was you know developed just to kind of throw away. Not not the least of which was Angel Warren Worthington the third. There was a place there for him. He had something there, but he only wound up having just a couple of scenes where he got to really kind of show himself off, and so he wasn't able to contribute as much either. So. Like I said, it's all about the running time for this one. That's what really kind of cripples it. It needed about a half hour, 45 minutes or so to allow both of these stories to breathe. And because of that, it wound up being a lesser movie than, than the first two. Would I recommend it? I, I'd have to say yeah, because it is the end of a trilogy. And if you stop here then you're going to be losing a lot of what comes afterwards. 
because this franchise is far from over. And it's got a lot of different twists and turns to take. I'm really, really looking forward to talking more about it. And if you would like to talk more about it, please go ahead and join me on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash from duck till dark. Um, always looking forward to your feedback. If you've been enjoying it, if you want to, if you feel the need to support the show in any way, please go to he's got it.com slash podcasts. And you'll see the link there that says buy me a coffee. Just go ahead and click that if you like. Any support is very, very much appreciated. And you can also go to he's got it.com and click on the subscribe button to subscribe to my newsletter. Originally, it was going to be a weekly one. It was for a little while, but I'm just not able to keep that momentum up. So I'm going to stick it stick to a monthly. If you choose to go ahead and subscribe, and if, if you open up the issue as it comes in, then you'll be part of a drawing at the end of the month for an Amazon gift card. Who doesn't want that? So those are all the different ways you can support the show. If, if you'd like to leave a rate and review, that is also very, very much appreciated. Would love to hear from all of you. Love to hear your feedback. And for the next episode, we're going to be going right into 2007. We are just moving right along. We're one year away from 2008 when a whole new era in comic book films was to start with the, with the release of Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, followed by The Dark Knight. It's going to be... It's, when they say the geek shall inherit the earth, that's basically what's going on right here. So this is an amazing time. I hope you're all enjoying it as much as I am. And until next time, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward and Excelsior. I'll see you tomorrow.